0: Hello and welcome to Homestead Hens and Honey, a beekeeping, chicken keeping and general homesteading podcast. I'm your host, Gemma. And today I have a big update on what's been going on since I took a hiatus from the podcast. And then I'm also going to discuss uh, goals that I achieved in 2021 and goals that I have set for myself for this new year, 2022. So let's just go right into it and talk about what did I want to achieve in 2021? So I'm just going to list it. I wanted to start keeping a top bar hive colony. I wanted to have nucleus colonies that I could build up in time for winter. I wanted to stay on top of mite testing. This was a really big one. So that meant monthly mite checks and treatments as needed. I was going to use oxalic acid vaporization in the spring and formic acid strips in the fall for treatment. I wanted to spend more time with my bee mentees I wanted to focus on health of my colonies, not just generating more colonies. In the garden, I said that I would try again with the Three Sisters gardens. That's corn, beans and squash. I wanted to focus on less plants and more space so they'd have room to grow. And I wanted to try my hand at growing bell peppers. I said I would prioritise weeding and beautifying my neglected side bed. I would spend more time volunteering at the zoo For the chickens, I wanted to buy a chicken tractor for the special needs girls and then add hens to the main flock. I wanted to add an additional drainage ditch down the side of the property. And in terms of sort of more personal goals, I really wanted to visit my bestie in Canada as soon as I could. Uh, With COVID, things have been closed down. I wanted to take a vacation with my husband and I also really wanted to reach my goal weight which I had set for myself 3 years ago. So, what does what did I actually achieve? Well, The top bar hive, I got mine set up, I installed a package and I learned how to manage it including figuring out how to apply mite treatments which are usually used in vertical hives and so are designed with that in mind. I also reviewed some books relating to the topic and I generally expanded my knowledge about how top bar hive styles work. For the nucleus colony build up, I focused on just two nucleus colonies to build up in time for winter and was moderately successful. They were doing amazingly up until a very bad robbing incident, which knocked them very far back. I ultimately had to merge colonies to get through winter, but as always, this was a good learning opportunity for me. And it was interesting to note that many local keepers reported that 2021 was the worst year for robbing that they have ever experienced. And I haven't really been able to find out why, what exactly led to this incidence of increased robbing last year. But I'm sure it's a number of different factors, including weather, what forage was available, number of colonies in the area and so on. For mite testing, I definitely hit my goal. I am super proud to report that I kept on track with testing and treatments and it clearly paid off because my mite levels were very, very good consistently throughout the year. Now, robbing is a great way for invading bees to bring mites to your hives. And this was definitely something that I had seen in 2020. But despite how badly I, my hives were robbed this year... Um, I managed to keep the mite levels down with the monthly testing and then applying treatment the minute they reach that threshold where treatment is advised. In terms of the treatment methods, I said I'd use oxalic acid in the spring and formic acid in the fall. And this seems to have been another success. I did like what I saw of both treatments I feel like they worked well in keeping mite levels down they didn't seem to disrupt the colonies too much and it was particularly useful to have a treatment on hand that could be used with honey supers and that is the formic acid to be clear now Right now, as far as I'm aware, formic acid is the only Varroa treatment approved for use with honey supers, which could be why it's so expensive. But I do think it's worth the expense, particularly if you're struggling with robbing. So getting in there to take the honey frames off can be quite stressful in that situation. And you don't have to worry about that with formic acid. So I'm going to be keeping both of these treatments in my toolbox for future use. My plan is to move forward with the um, oxalic acid this spring and stick with the formic acid in the fall. In the garden I did attempt a three sisters garden again and it was mostly successful. I expanded the size of my corn bed and that had a really big impact on pollination and was definitely a success. And it actually had such a big improvement on what I saw coming back from the um, the plants that I'm going to try and expand that bed again this year. In terms of the beans, they did better than last year. I was able to keep um, pests off them so they weren't all chewed up like they got in 2020. But I once again planted my squash seeds far too late in the season and I never saw a harvest. I'm really kicking myself about that. I hate wasting seeds. My focus in 2021 was on less plants and more space. And I mostly achieved this. And by mostly what I mean is that I bought fewer tomato plants so that I could space them out. But then my neighbour had extra plants that needed a home or otherwise they were going to be composted. And so I did end up kind of making things a little more cramped than I intended. I also learned that indeterminate tomato plants will fill as much space as you give them and my supports couldn't handle the weight. So I really need to brainstorm a better system for keeping my tomato plants upright. But overall, I got a beautiful, bountiful harvest from my tomato plants last year and it was absolutely wonderful. It was probably my highlight of the summer going out there and just getting baskets and baskets of beautiful, varied tomatoes to eat. For my bell peppers, I did grow two plants successfully and I had a couple of small harvests from them. And really, this was a test to see how they would do here in Ohio. I first grew peppers in containers when I lived in Rhode Island and I had a a lot of success with them. When I tried to grow them in Georgia, they died from humidity induced mildew, which was a real bummer. I'm pleased to say that they actually did very well here, even though the tomato plants started to overshadow them slightly, which was a constant um, focus of me constantly cutting back or pulling those tomato plants back and making sure that the peppers got sunshine. So I'm probably going to grow them again this year and I might give them their own bed so that they're not going to be overshadowed by the crazily growing tomatoes. In terms of prioritizing that neglected side bed, this was like a 50% success. So I did do a huge cleanup of the bed. I managed to get about 60% of the weeds pulled. I also removed some saplings that had sprung up and wouldn't survive their long term. I cut back the brush and I generally tidied up the appearance of all those beds. I put more wildflower seeds down which bloomed absolutely beautifully through summer and fall and I added some rosemary and chamomile to the beds as well however some of the weeds are just so deeply rooted that I couldn't get them all and they grew faster than I could commit to pulling them so by the time we were into fall the bed was pretty much overrun again and I felt a bit despondent about it. It's it's really not looking how I want it to. I also said I would spend some more time volunteering at the zoo. And I did do this. Um, I committed to going in whenever I could. And then I also signed up for every weekend of the big Boo at the Zoo Halloween event. Now, getting back to the zoo ironically made me realize that I needed to step down as a volunteer. So I'm going to discuss this a bit more at the end of the episode where I give some personal updates but to put it simply something in my life had to give and this was one of those things. I will say that I had a really fantastic boo at the zoo. It was probably the best one I've ever done. I had so much fun with the volunteers and with the employees and with everyone who came to the zoo and I'm really going to miss my fellow volunteers and zoo workers because they are an incredible group of individuals. As for my chickens I did get more hens for the main flock and we had some big changes with Pepper Jack being rehomed and then Rooster Handsome joining the girls In terms of travel, I wasn't able to visit my friend in Canada. Um, She lives on Newfoundland and they've been locked down pretty tight, which is understandable. And so they had quarantine regulations and it just made it impossible for me to go. My husband and I managed a very short vacation in... um, North Carolina and that was beautiful, a little more humid than I thought it would be but we did have a good time. It was a long weekend and we got some beautiful views to enjoy and just some time to kind of put our feet up and relax. So in terms of obstacles that I faced and goals that I wasn't able to meet, more time with my mentees. This did not happen um, in a large part because of the pandemic. I did do an apiary tour with my mentee Kay and her mentee M and we actually spent an enjoyable couple of hours inspecting the hives and then just sitting out in the garden catching up and drinking water and it was a very rewarding experience for me. Otherwise the pandemic kept me away from spending a lot of face time with people so this was really the most I saw of my beekeeping people during the year. For chickens I didn't end up buying the chicken tractor I had in mind because I lost my special needs girls and I'll talk about that more in a little bit. The drainage ditch this was an extremely optimistic idea. Um, I knew my back probably wouldn't allow it and honestly I didn't even consider it during last year. I was so busy with the garden and the chickens and the bees that there just wasn't time for a big project like this. And honestly, it's something that I need to hire out. Um, If I do it by myself, I don't have the proper equipment. Even if I rented that equipment, I don't think it's a good idea for my back. So this is one of those things that we are going to eventually, we're not in a rush, but we will eventually talk to some professionals about getting drainage, uh, better drainage on the property moving forward. For reptiles, I didn't really have them on my goal list because I just assumed that I would be breeding as usual in 2021. Instead, I skipped the year because I wanted to rest one of my breeding females due to her generally having a harder time in 2020. And then my main female, Europa, suffered a completely spontaneous broken jaw. So I had her take the year off as well. I did not want her trying to raise babies when she needed all of her strength and all of that calcium to heal her jaw, which I am pleased to say has healed beautifully. So I said before travel, I wasn't able to go to Canada, but I did get to go on a short holiday with my husband. And then <laughs> in terms of reaching my goal this did not happen. Um, Like many people, I actually gained weight during the pandemic, which I'm kind of kicking myself about now, but hey-ho, it is what it is. I wasn't able to swim regularly and um, I generally was having kind of a hard time. So we'll just move forward now. I can go to the, the swimming pool regularly. I can get back into being more active and hopefully I'll see the weight come off. I did want to list some unplanned or unexpected accomplishments. So I planted sunflowers by the neglected bed at the side of the property, right up against the fence line, and they flourished there. This area is much more dry and quite hard to water compared to the rest of my garden beds, but the sunflowers just went from strength to strength, and I'll be replanting this bed every year from now on. I finally set up a quarantine coop. It is far enough away from the other coops that viruses and bacteria and such shouldn't be transmissible over that distance. And this allowed me to add some beautiful English Orpington pullets to my flock. One of my biggest accomplishments last year that I am so thrilled about is I finally dealt with the raccoon latrine situation in the top of my shed. So just as a reminder for anyone, I have been dealing with the fact that raccoons like to poop communally and they decided that the very top of my shed which had mainly just been used for storage I didn't really have anything up there just there were some old chairs and miscellaneous stuff from the last owners that was their favorite place and so it was getting filled with raccoon poop and handling raccoon poop without proper um preparation proper equipment is bad for you there's a kind of ringworm that is in their feces that you can inhale and it gets into your lungs and then it travels through your body it can even travel to your brain so it's very important to wear appropriate masks when dealing with stinky raccoon poo so after saying I was going to do this over and over again I finally just sort of put on my protective equipment got my special mask on went up there with hot soapy water and disinfectant. I got everything cleaned up. I threw away anything that had been contaminated. I washed everything down. And the boat, which the raccoons had also started pooping in, I did the same treatment for that. By the time I was finished, it ended up being quite a hot day and I was baking, wearing that mask and with the... um uh, Protective clothing I was wearing, but it was definitely worth it. And part of why it was worth it is that getting the boat cleaned meant that I could finally get rid of the goddamn boat. So we never ended up using the thing, and it just was extra work for me. And so I finally said to my husband that we had to either sell it give it away or pay for it to be properly stored because I was sick of trying to tarp it the raccoons kept on pulling the tarp off so they could get in there and poo it just wasn't worth it so speaking to my husband he did agree that although it had seemed like a really good idea at the time clearly it wasn't working out and so he decided to offer it to one of his graduating students as a gift With the understanding, of course, that it needs work, you know, it's not perfect. Well, this student is a really, really great kid and he's always out on the water and actually studies fish. And so he was delighted at the idea. He's also extremely handy. So he's going to redo it how he wants, including giving it a new electric engine instead of the gas engine that it came with. So it's definitely in the right home now. Um, I've heard that he had it out on the water within weeks and he's really enjoying it. So it's in its right home. I don't have to deal with it. Everyone is happy. Last year, I also rescued some ducklings that were dumped by a canal in the spring and I immediately fell in love with ducks. I'd never really considered them for my homestead, but now it's definitely a goal. Probably not this year, but sometime in the future. In terms of reptiles, Pandora and Europa, my breeding females, they have healed beautifully from their various issues and I introduce them back to their mates. Europa is with Titan, um, but Pandora has been paired with a younger male this year. Her previous mate was just consistently hard on her. He was very rough when he bred her and he would even chase her outside of breeding season and generally just be too much. So I have taken him out. He now lives in his own little bachelor pad um, and I'm just going to keep him as a bachelor for the rest of his life. He's one of just two babies that I kept from my very first breeding of pink tongue skinks and sadly those um, primary pair, Ganymede and um, Dione, they were my first two and they have sadly both passed since so Europa and Hyperion are the names of the two babies I kept from them and Europa is a wonderful female skink and she's been an incredible mother but Hyperion is now a confirmed bachelor because he's too rough with the ladies I did also achieve a goal that I didn't expect to hit, which was I have long been saying that I want to diversify the genetics of my pink tongue skinks by importing some skinks from Europe. And I was really fortunate. My husband actually came across an importer who brings pink tongue skinks over once a year from Germany. And we reached out and I managed to get three absolutely beautiful babies from her. And I'm so excited. They won't be ready to be bred for another maybe one to two years. But I'm just excited that I can now have more genetic diversity. I can offer my customers uh, different bloodlines. I think it will be a good thing for me moving forward. An unexpected love of twenty. 21 was fiber and all things yarn so i got back into crochet i don't even remember exactly how it happened i think i just stumbled across a kind of crochet called amigurumi which is a japanese art of knitting or crocheting small stuffed animals i think of it a lot like 3d printing but with stitches so each layer builds on the next until you have a lovely 3d toy I saw a chunky B version and I knew I had to make it. So I jumped right in. I retaught myself how to crochet and I fell in love with the process. Many, many years ago, I taught myself to knit, but I very rarely stuck with it. And some of it was because at the time I was broke and I could only afford like scratchy acrylic yarn that I just, I didn't like how it felt. I didn't like really working with it. And Because I also didn't seem to take naturally to knitting it was easy to give up but crochet seems to be a lot more my speed and I also am in a position in life where I can afford better fibre so it's much nicer to work with like wool yarn you know natural fibres. So since I discovered crochet, I've been enjoying making big and small bees for family and friends. Um, I think I have probably made about 15, 16 bees last year. And I recently finished a very ambitious pattern of a giant snail. I'll post some pictures on my blog and also links to the patterns. The bee patterns are free, but the giant snail is a um, is a for profit pattern, but it's only about five dollars, I think. So it's very reasonable. My fiber love has led me to dig into the yarn making process. I even attended a yarn dyeing workshop recently and that was a lot of fun. I took a knitting class recently as well and I'm looking for a spinning class. And I would really, really love one day. I don't know if this is too distant of a dream, but I would love to have my own alpaca or a couple of alpacas and baby doll sheep and then I would make my own yarn from the shearing to the spinning to the dyeing and the eventual working. That's the dream and I'm just excited to continue learning about this topic and I feel very fortunate that I have a great community of people centered around my local yarn shop which is making the learning experience even more fun. Now, despite the insane amount of robbing that we experienced with the colonies this year, I did manage a very, very small honey harvest and I savored every single drop of it. It is now long gone and I miss it. And finally, I got a really awesome new tattoo. It is a queen bee beneath a triple moon with goldenrod and lavender flowers around her. My artist, as usual, absolutely nailed my vision and I'm in love with it. Every time I see it, it makes me smile and um, it just kind of makes me feel strong somehow. I don't know. I just love it. So before I discuss my goals for 2022, this year, which I still am not used to saying that, I need to get my personal updates out of the way because so much has happened and it's really affected how I will be moving forward. So first things first, I want to talk about my chickens There is going to be some swearing ahead so warning for bad language and also just a warning that I'm going to be talking about chickens dying. So if you would like to skip this section I would jump about five to ten minutes ahead. So simply put 2021 was a really bad year when it came to chickens for me. I lost a number of hens to old age and illness many of which I talked about on the podcast. But since my hiatus, I've lost even more. And these ones really, really hurt. So first was Bobby, my Easter egger, who died very unexpectedly from heat exhaustion due to extreme obesity. And I'm going to talk more about this in an upcoming episode about obesity in chickens. But just quickly I'm very confused by how she got to be so fat I have never had a obese hen before as far as I'm aware all my chickens who have passed have been of a healthy weight and so I don't know how she got to be as fat as she was Um, but I will discuss that in more detail in a future episode about obesity in chickens what causes it what to look for After Bobby passed away unexpectedly, Meat became ill and I eventually had to have her humanely euthanized. Now, as one of my very first chickens, I did seek vet care for her and I nursed her in the house for several weeks. Then for a while, she lived in a special needs coop with Agatha and it was really sweet because the two seemed to remember each other from when they were just, it was them and Babette. And they were doing really well for a while, but then me butt started to decline. So I brought her back inside the house. And although with antibiotics and some painkillers, she started showing some improvement, I couldn't get her to eat on her own. And even with hand feeding, she just wasn't consuming enough to maintain her weight and I was giving her dubia roaches and as many grublies as she wanted and scrambled eggs and all this kind of stuff but she would only eat a little at a time and I never was able to get her to eat more based on the original blood work we did and how she responded to the antibiotics and the painkillers and then this lack of appetite my vet suspects that she had cancer And I will say that I did not have a necropsy performed for her. I didn't think it was worthwhile. It won't make a difference for me to know whether it was old age or cancer. Um, So I decided to humanely euthanize her. And before I took her in, I took her outside. It was a beautiful day to enjoy the sunshine and the grass. I had her out in the front garden and some of the main flock actually came up to the fence to greet her. I really think they knew that something was wrong because even though she'd been apart from them for such a long time, they didn't try and attack her, which is the usual chicken reaction. They just kind of looked at each other, reached through the fence to touch beaks, and then the flock waddled off. So after Meatbutt had been outside for a while, um, I scooped her up, I took her to the vet, and she actually died in my arms. Um... The way that you euthanize animals is you give them an injection that makes them go to sleep. And then once they're asleep, you give the injection that stops their heart. They gave her the injection to put her to sleep and then let me hold her. And the plan was that they would then come in to do the final injection. But I think her heart just gave out and she actually just died in my arms. Not long after meat I lost Agatha, my sweet old lady, my hospice chicken, the hen that we all thought would go first as I adopted her as a senior and instead she ended up outliving all of her original sisters. So within the first year of adopting Agatha, uh, all those years ago, she became ill and I took her to my vet and we did blood work and x-rays, the whole shebang. And we found out that she had arthritis all through her spine as well as a mass on her liver. And my vet was like, we can treat for pain and just see how she does and take it day by day. And that's what we did. But she just rallied. She just returned to normal. So we kept her on a very, very low dose of painkillers. Every year that I had Agatha, she'd give me a scare. She'd get kind of thin. She'd seem lethargic. And then I'd bring her in. We'd do like a painkiller adjustment, maybe some antibiotics, extra fluids. And she'd always perk up and go right back outside again. This last time, I saw her and I knew that she was done. She'd completely given up. I found her lying flat as a pancake, face first. She couldn't even lift her head. She had to use her beak to lever herself up. And it was really, really awful. I actually took a picture of her resting in this position to remind myself how bad it was because I knew that I was going to have to have her euthanize and I knew that I would question that decision. And so I wanted this proof that when I saw her, that gut feeling that it was time, I I needed that. I will never share this picture. It's very upsetting. I did try for a few days with her. Um, We tried antibiotics and fluids and painkillers and she just didn't respond. So... It was a Sunday and I couldn't take her to my regular vet. I had to take her to the ER. And they wouldn't let me be with her when she passed because they said it was against their policy. And the best they could do was give me time with her in a room. And so I sat for 45 minutes crying into her feathers. And I thanked her for being such a good chicken. And I'm still so upset by her passing. I wanted to hold her when she left. And I sometimes think that I should have come back the next day when my vet would have been there. And then I could have held her and she could have felt me supporting her when she left. But she was in such bad shape that I thought that I was being selfish. And so I decided to let her go. And (laughs) it didn't help that After 45 minutes of holding her and talking to her and telling her how much I loved her and how thankful I was, I was kind of getting control of myself. So I wasn't crying. I was, you know, okay. I felt like I was strong. And this vet tech came in and he just goes, wow, a chicken, that's a cool animal to euthanize. And I just started crying all over again. So when I think about her passing, I have a lot of regrets. I actually didn't think I was going to cry, but yeah, I just, I miss her so much. I loved her so much. She taught me so much. Um, she was just an incredible chicken. Um, so I had her cremated. I also had Meatbutt cremated. And I have her ashes now on my mantle with Babette and Meatbutt. So my three original hens are together again. And the plan is to get a really beautiful wooden urn and then have their names inscribed on it and combine their ashes so that they can be physically together again. I just haven't found the right urn yet. So when she left, my special needs coop was empty for the first time in five years. And to really twist the knife... Not long after Agatha was euthanized, my rooster, Handsome, was killed by a hawk. It was the biggest hawk I've ever seen in my life. Probably a fully mature, red-tailed female. The females are larger than the males. And I first found the girls, the hens, in their coop and they looked really freaked out. And at this point, I was down to like four hens. And I couldn't find Handsome. So I went looking for him. I walked the whole property and I found him at the back and the hawk was still on him. So I startled it. It flew off. That's how I saw how absolutely ginormous she was. And I went to him and I found that he had died probably instantly from either a blow to the head or a neck break. There was almost no blood And very little disturbance of feathers. So it had obviously just happened. And I ended up just sitting with him on the ground. Just holding him. And I was so shocked I couldn't even cry. Because I know that when you have chickens and you let them free range. You let them free roam. Chances are good that you're going to lose some to predation. You know you can put up fences. You can give them lots of cover. But if you live in an area with hawks or stray cats, or bobcats, or coyotes, or whatever, that's always a risk, but in my head, I'd always imagined that if a hawk attacked, it would be a fight between the hawk and the rooster, and Hanson was ginormous, I mean, he weighed, I'm not entirely sure of his weight, but he had to be over 10 pounds, easy, he was ginormous, he was strong, and he was very, very attentive. He was always watching the skies, he was always alerting his girls. And so I really thought that if he had to fight a hawk, that he would win. But what I completely forgot is that hawks can kill with a very fast attack and a devastating blow that happens almost instantly. I think part of what made this loss so painful despite the fact that I didn't anticipate it was that there's no way this hawk could have eaten even half of him and so the whole thing felt so pointless and wasteful he was killed for what she didn't eat him she couldn't have eaten all of him she left hungry because I scared her off his body And there was no way I was going to leave his body for her because I don't want her to think, great, this is an awesome place for me to hunt. And then I would lose future chickens. So I guess what I want to say is Handsome, he was a mixed breed. He was a rock and Brahma mix. And I got him from a friend of mine, a beekeeping friend, and he was the most beautiful chicken I have ever seen. And so when I found his body, I sat with him for a while, just petting him, thanking him for taking care of my flock and apologizing that we never had the time to really become friends. I hadn't even had him for a year and I felt like I failed him. Ultimately, I ended up pulling some of his feathers to keep. I wrapped him up in a soft blue blanket and I buried him out back with some of the old girls. So there's a new stone cairn out there now and I actually visit it sometimes and I talk to him and um, I'm still gutted by his loss. And then to top off this shit sandwich, I found Cheddar dead in the run after Christmas. So a necropsy showed she'd actually suffered a massive heart attack and internal bleed. This was classic sudden death syndrome which is a real thing in chickens and it's usually seen in heavy-bodied meat birds because they grow so fast that their hearts can't keep up and they die. Now her heart, when I examined it, was small and quite soft so I think she was probably born with a defect and the time finally came. Now because most of my pet hens have died due to reproductive disorders, which is one of the leading causes of deaths in domestic chickens, I'd never seen a healthy reproductive tract before when doing a necropsy but Cheddar had a number of eggs in development within her because she was actively laying before her sudden passing and I will say that it was absolutely fascinating to really see what a healthy reproductive tract looks like in chickens and I'm very grateful that in her death she taught me something that I can use in future. So that's all my losses since I last posted an episode. One thing that happened amidst all this just, it just felt like a cascade of chicken death was that I stopped eating chicken meat. So people have been asking me for years uh, whether I eat chicken because they know how enthusiastic I am about my pet chickens. And I was always okay with this. I didn't have any cognitive dissonance about it because meat birds are very different from the laying hens that I keep. That said, the more that I learned about meat birds and how we have turned them into these hideous, massive mutants um, uh, that can't survive on their own because their hearts just give out because we've, we've made them be so huge... I started having doubts and then one early morning when I was out on the road, I saw a truck taking chickens to slaughter and it was awful. It was, it almost looked like pallets, like that's how deep they were. So what's that? Like four inches, five inches high, absolutely packed, stuffed wing to wing with meat birds and then there were probably like, I don't know, 60 pallets, maybe even more on this one small truck. And it was completely exposed to the air. I think that's why it was out so early because it was warm. So it had them just completely exposed to the air, just racing down the highway. And it was terrible. And so I started just finding that I I just didn't want chicken anymore. I didn't want to eat it. Uh, but I'm taking what I'm calling a Buddhist approach to this. And what I mean is, Buddhist monks are traditionally vegetarian but when they beg for alms which is um you know a traditional behavior in their society if they're given meat they will eat it because it was a gift freely given to them and it would be considered unpardonably rude to turn it down and you might be interested to know that the Dalai Lama had to start eating meat at one point due to health issues so how I feel is if I go somewhere and someone cooks food for me and it's got chicken in it, I will eat it. If it's up to me, I won't. And some of this decision is just absolutely pure raw emotion um, because I've become even closer to my flock after these recent losses. And I just really feel like chickens are so unappreciated they're beautiful they're silly funny they're personable little dinosaurs and I just find that the more time I spend with them the more I am not at all interested in eating them and to kind of stick with some personal updates here <laughs> if you thought it was all bad with the chickens we'll just wait so heads up um Just a quick trigger warning. I'm going to talk about mental health issues. I'm going to talk about cancer and I'm going to talk about chronic illness. So, amidst all this chicken death and drama, I have really been struggling with my depression. I think that I've been pretty open about this on the podcast. um, So, it's not really a surprise, but I didn't understand how bad it was going to get. I'm very fortunate to not suffer from suicidal ideation, but I did reach a point um, not long after I went on hiatus where I just didn't see the point in anything anymore. And every day I woke up and just thought, oh, this again. And it just all felt pointless and awful. And at my very worst moments, um, I was really convinced that I was just terrible at beekeeping. I couldn't keep chickens alive. I didn't deserve anything wonderful. I didn't deserve all the wonderful things in my life. I felt completely unworthy of existence and like an utterly pointless and wasteful person. And I'm doing better now, but I'm not really out of the woods Um I don't want to go too deep into it because it's really personal and then this isn't the Gemma complains about her brain chemistry and resulting feelings podcast. But I will say that my meds are helping. I'm doing the best that I can and I'm really just taking everything day by day. And while all this is going on and I'm not feeling great because of my depression, my back pain started to get a lot worse. So in the last six months or so, I noticed that aside from how the pain was more constant, my lower spine was crunching audibly if I moved in certain ways. And I just found that I was having more and more bad days. Well, in the middle of this, I ended up pulling a muscle in my back when I was lifting a bag of birdseed. And the pain was so bad that I couldn't stand upright for over an hour. Now, after the initial pain, it didn't feel too awful except that I felt like I was going to throw up and I'm going to be honest this scared the hell out of me I have a really high pain tolerance I am used to back pain but not being able to stand and feeling like I was going to vomit was really scary thankfully this happened when my husband was home so he was able to help get me he basically just draped me over the sofa and he got me heat back heat packs he went to the pharmacy to get muscle relaxers and my emergency pack of steroids and within a few hours I was standing but I otherwise spent that whole day and the following night sleeping and it really sucked so after this event I was scared my husband was scared and he said look I want you to go back to the doctor and get more x-rays done because I had some done in 2017 and we didn't find anything So I went to my doctor, we discussed everything and I had x-rays done and I have been diagnosed with mild degenerative disc disease and facet arthropathy or arthritis in my lower lumbar vertebra. So objectively, this isn't the worst news. Over 90% of people will have some level of degenerative disc disease by age 60 and it's not uncommon to see it developing from about age 40. But at 36, this means that I'm experiencing this degeneration earlier than usual. In... Response to this, my doctor sent me to physical therapy to learn management techniques. And otherwise, the treatment is basically what I'm already doing it's NSAIDs like ibuprofen or naproxen, heat, gentle exercise like the swimming, yoga, and walking that I already do, steroids for when things get extremely bad, muscle relaxers, and keeping my weight down, which I am working on. Damn you, pandemic pounds. So Really I've started to brainstorm ways that I can keep working in the garden and the apiary without putting too much strain on my back. The days when I just powered through the discomfort and the pain need to be put firmly behind me if I want to slow down future degeneration. So I have to modify how I've been behaving. And some of this is just small things, like I don't lift heavy objects off the ground anymore. So if I go to the feed store, I bring my husband along or I ask a worker to help me load the cart and then again to load my car. And I hate it. I absolutely hate having to ask for help. Uh, I'm still struggling with this idea that asking for help makes me a burden. But I'm hoping that the more I do it, the easier it becomes. I think some of why why it feels especially hard is that I am young and I look younger than I am. And so I feel like when I ask for help, people are going to think that I'm lazy. But again, it's just all in my head. You know, I ask the people at the feed store are great. (laughs) I always chat with the guy who helps me. He's lovely. So, you know, everyone seems happy to help me. I mean, it's part of their job, I guess. So I just need to get more comfortable with it. And so this diagnosis of my back happened and then we were getting close to Christmas. And just to kind of add to the drama, I had a cancer scare. So a routine health check led to the discovery of two lumps in my right breast. And I was sent in for a diagnostic mammogram and an ultrasound, which happened three days after Christmas. Now, thankfully, I was given the all clear, which was awesome. And as a heads up to people, the difference between a routine mammogram and a diagnostic is that the diagnostic mammogram, they will give you the result while you are there. They do not make you wait for them. A routine mammogram, the results are viewed sort of later on and are given to your doctor who will then inform you within a couple of days. But anyway, so this happened. I got the clear. I thought that was the end of it. No, (laughs) no. Because of my family history and my breast composition, I am considered high risk for breast cancer. And so I was referred back to the specialist breast clinic to discuss future monitoring as well as additional testing. So things like genetic testing, breast MRI, etc., Now, just to talk quickly about what it means to be high risk. So they ask you a ton of questions about your family history, particularly cancers. And the cancers they're really looking for are breast cancer, colon cancer, pancreatic cancer and ovarian cancer. And depending on how many members of your family have had that and especially how many have passed away due to that can really affect what is considered your risk factor. So the average woman we usually have a risk factor of around 13%. Anything over 20% is considered high risk and mine came back as 24.5%. So I went to the breast clinic. I met a really wonderful doctor who talked through everything with me and we decided to have genetic testing done to see if I had any known cancer mutations or gene mutations that make you prone to cancer, I should say. And I'm really relieved to say that my test results came back negative for all known mutations, which is amazing. And due to this, my doctor and I have agreed that I'm going to have a breast MRI this summer. Then I won't need another until I'm after the age of 40, at which point I'll probably have one every year. But in the meantime, I will be having a mammogram every year, as long with my regular breast exam. Now. I actually just got the genetic test results last week. I'm recording this on March 8th. And it was such a huge relief because I was especially worried about the BRCA1 and 2 mutations. Now, with these mutations, the chance of breast cancer is so high that it's recommended women undergo a double mastectomy and removal of the ovaries, usually after the age of 40. And originally, when this was all a hypothetical, I felt like I would be okay with having my breasts removed Um, but as I waited for the test results and it felt like it was more of a real thing I realized that I actually have a lot of very strong feelings about the procedure and how it would affect my body image and my confidence and I'm very very grateful that I will not be facing that and I just like to throw in here a reminder For everyone to do monthly breast checks, including men. Yes, men out there. You can also get breast cancer. Although it's not really talked about, which is a shame. It needs to be. If you are a man and a member of your immediate family has had breast or colon cancer, you are at higher risk than the average male. So don't be shy. Do some self checks at home and just stay on top of it. At least familiarize yourself with your breast tissue so you can kind of get a feel for when something isn't right Um, as I wrote in my notes right here smush those tartars to protect your health and I will post a link about um, hereditary breast cancer and gene mutations on my blog okay so with all of that incredibly depressing and dramatic and scary and awful baggage out of the way What goals have I set for myself this year? Now, primarily, I want to focus on my health, learning to adapt the things that I do so I can avoid straining my back. And I also just need to keep working on my mental health and therapy and hopefully continue improving. But for some more concrete goals, I really want to build a long Langstroth. So it's like a top bar hive, but it has the dimensions of a Langstroth box um it would require less heavy lifting and i'm just kind of curious to see how this would work in terms of management i want to keep focusing on health in my colonies including a strong build up for nucleus colonies through aggressive feeding mite treatments regular inspections etc um i want to get more chickens <laughs> Um I have my pullets. Well, they're now big, but I had the pullets and I'm actually picking up more pullets tomorrow. So I ordered some uh Welsummers, Easter Eggers and Frizzle Easter Eggers, and I'm really really excited about it and I can't wait to bring them home. I want to expand my corn patch, try my hand at growing cucumbers this year, and see about getting a pumpkin and squash patch established. I'm going to buy more peonies since I love them so much. I'm going to continue planting sunflowers and wildflowers everywhere I can. And this is the year that I'm going to deal with that poor neglected side bed. Now, I have said this every year that I will deal with it. And this year is the year it will be done. Why? Because I'm hiring out to have it done. (laughs) So I spoke to my husband about it and hand pulling all of the weeds over there and repositioning the heavy stones and decorative boulders and stuff it's just too much for me particularly with my back and so I thought that I would reach out to some landscaping companies and get quotes on having them come out weed everything clear all the beds um, you know set the beds back up properly and then set up like a low maintenance garden for me to manage I've actually already been in touch with a designer who specializes in pollinator gardens and we've taken the first step towards getting things done and I'm really excited to see what she comes up with. I also want to investigate tools and equipment that can help me with weeding and heavy lifting in the garden without straining my back. I wanted to learn to knit. I did sign up, oh, I took a class already and it went pretty well. Um, Crocheting still feels more my jam, but I'm hoping to keep improving with my knitting because I feel like knitted stitches look better on wearables like sweaters, and I would love to make a sweater of my own one day. I would love to learn to spin, but this one is completely dependent on time and if I can find anyone local to do this right now the only spinning classes available are over an hour away and I just don't have that kind of free time I want to continue learning about fiber arts and making things that make me happy so more bees more giant snails all that fun stuff I want to get back into swimming regularly now that the gym is open and that's going really well Um, I've been going consistently for the past like five to six weeks I really want to visit my bestie in Canada and I have a trip planned so I am very excited to say that sometime this summer I am going to Newfoundland and I get to see my bestie for the first time in almost what two years it will be by then and I'm super excited we're just planning a ton of things to do and it's going to be wonderful and I I don't know if this will happen this year, but I really want to prioritise visiting my mum and my brother in England either at the end of this year or beginning of next year because it's been far too long and she was planning to come and see me and that hasn't been able to happen due to COVID protocols in England and some health issues that she's been dealing with. So I just want to focus on her moving forward. And that's where I'm at. So I'm sorry that it's kind of a bummer update. Um, I, I've i been putting off recording this because it's depressing, but it is what it is. It's, it's kind of important. It lets you know where I am moving forward and why something's going to be very different. I do still have high hopes for the bees this year and the chickens and my gardens and I'm going to keep working on my health so that I can enjoy as much of my life as I possibly can. Moving forward, I can't guarantee when I'm going to be posting Um, I'm really trying to take a lot of pressure off myself. So let's say once a month until spring is here properly and the bees are back and I can really, really work with them, at which point I'm hoping that I'll get back to my two weekly schedule. So, you know, two episodes a month, basically. And I just want to say... Thank you so much for all of you who have stuck with me particularly during this break. Um, I've been chatting with some of you on Instagram and I just appreciate you all so much. I love seeing what you're up to. I love when you post pictures of your gardens and your pets and when you leave me a comment just to let me know that you're still around and I really hope that you and your families are staying safe and healthy wherever you are. Things are still utter madness. You. Since this pandemic started, I kept thinking next year will be better. And <laughs> I don't know that that's true, but we're all still here and we're all still hanging on. And um, I'm just grateful for you all for listening. So until next time, remember, hug your hands and then wash your hands. Take care. Bye-bye.